The Incomparable. Number 506. March 2020. Welcome back, everybody, to The Incomparable. I'm your host, Jason Snell. In this episode, we're going to be talking about the latest season of Doctor Who. It was series 12. It just finished. It was 10 episodes. It was uh, January, February, and a little bit of March. And now it's done, and we're going to talk about the whole thing. So if you haven't seen it, and you don't want to know what happens, don't listen any further. But uh, we're going to break it down as a whole. You can go listen to my episodes of the Doctor Who Flashcast on the TV podcast if you want to hear me talk about every episode in detail. And there are also about approximately a million other Doctor Who podcasts that did the same thing, probably. Uh, joining me on this episode to talk about the whole season are four wonderful people. Annette Weirstra joins us. Hello. Hello. I am super excited to be here. Absolutely. You you uh, joined me for the Doctor Who Flashcast live in person. From I know the, the last time we convention. podcast together, we were in the same room. Yeah, and you know who was there with us? It was Jean McDonald. Hi, Jean. Hey, Jean. I am still here. And what? I'm glad you still to the be hotel? back with you. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, you left her there. You locked me in. Oh, no. That's terrible. <laughs> oh, yeah. So, anyway, fun to be here and to look at the whole season um, and, uh, in a podcast yeah. with such uh, wonderful people. It's a gust company. And uh, Helene Wecker joins us to talk about Doctor Who, as she sometimes does. Hello. Hello. I'm also very thrilled to be here, though. I'm sad I wasn't at Galley. Yeah, that's true. We missed you. But, you know, it, it happens. <laughs> not everybody can go uh, every time. We're not all chosen. No, that's true. Uh, and uh, last but not least, a guy who occasionally talks about Doctor Who because he has multiple Doctor Who podcasts. Uh, Stephen Shapansky, uh, Radio Free Scaro, Lazy Doctor Who, and uh, you just finished The Memory Cheats, season three. Are th- yes. Am I missing any Doctor Who podcast that you're a part of? No, that's uh, that's it. Frankly, that's enough. Uh, yeah. I don't mm-hmm. need any more of them. Um, we, honestly, we thought that perhaps based on what we were hearing behind the scenes that uh, we would be doing series four relatively soon, the Chris Chibnall years, but it seems like that's not the case. So um, the, the memory cheat series four will be at least probably two years away. Uh, it's the Sherlock of podcasts. We take our time and then we come back every three or four years to do another series. Because it's new new series by showrunner. So yeah, that's our mm-hmm. divided because like, everyone deci- everyone in every television show ever decides to break up their eras of their television show, their favorite TV show, into eras of showrunners, yeah. I'm sure. <laughs> Doctor Who is unique in that respect. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. Well, so Series 12, obviously, numerically, comes after Series 11. And how about that? Who right? knows? Who knows of this series? There could be, <laughs> maybe there's, maybe there's a bunch of hidden series that we never actually saw. Maybe. Yeah, darn it, Stephen. You're absolutely right. We we've been counting from series one, but there were many. Actually, that's true, isn't it? There were actually many series before that. Yeah, uh, it was just a to- that some of us don't even know about. Yeah, yeah. we don't know about. It's, them. A, it's amazing. You may not, yeah may not have any memory of it. So, series eleven introduced Jodie Whittaker's Doctor and Chris Chibnall came on board as the showrunner, and um. I, I, you know, the general feeling I get from the fans that I know was that they were kind of lukewarm. It might be the way to put it about Series 11. The, the, some people liked it, obviously, more more than others. And I didn't know anybody who hated it, but it definitely felt like people were like, mm, 
I don't know. And the the general drift I get of people that I've talked to about Series 12 is far more positive. Does that seem right to all of you that, that this that this felt like a real um, step up from last season? I'm just getting to it. I'm getting right to it right now. <laughs> to, to use a sports metaphor, I, I don't think Series 11 stretched out any singles. You know, they were just content to stay on first base. <laughs> we're not going to go for second. We're just happy here on first. It didn't take any risks. And I felt Series 12 took a lot of risks. And I appreciate it for that. There was definitely an energy to this season that was not in last season. I feel like they, uh, yeah, like Stephen said, we're just sort of content to run the the a lot of stories that uh, were like the typical story, but with a new doctor, and we're we're sort of putting her in there and seeing what this doctor does in these typical stories. And this season definitely expanded from that for me. And one of the things about season 11, you know, that was always made clear is that they weren't going to go back to the the typical Doctor Who villains and 11. And then season 12 just like starts right off with a, a well-known typical Doctor Who villain. And I thought, okay, they're back, you know, to the Doctor Who, you know, we're going to be seeing more of this stuff and, you know, then throwing in some of the other things that we like uh, that season 11, uh, sorry, season 12 brought, it had some comfort food um, things that season 11 was a lot of new territory to to cover. I agree with all of you. I there were some <laughs> episodes that I really liked in season 11 like The Demons of the Punjab or Rosa mm-hmm. and individually they were they were really satisfying and good. I loved Jody Whittaker. I loved the fam, but as a whole the season was like ah that's fine. But this season I think it was um after Nikola Tesla's Night of Terror when I told Stephen that I think this might be my new favorite season. And I didn't actually waver from that at all. (laughs) So it is. It's my new favorite season. Mm -hmm. So it just had so much. I like an arc. I love the energy of it. I love everything they tried to do about it. Spoilers. I'm just giving it all away right now. We're going to talk all about him. So, so yeah. uh, when when uh, Gene said that there was a villain in a, in episode one, it's the master. It was the master that was who it was. Uh, so the spoiler, the spoilers are out there. Yeah, in fact, kind of textbook in terms of structure, a, a two part opener that introduces the master. Um, and as a as a, uh, a you know a new threat a recurring threat but a new a new master as uh, Sasha Dewan. Um, episode five. Basically, dead in the middle of the season has the big twist where we see that the the fun um, kind of uh, uh, adventure episode about the Jadoon trying to find a, a fugitive on Earth and the Doctor trying to outwit them has this sudden twist where you realize that the fugitive is the Doctor, except someone we've never seen before as the Doctor. And what does that mm-hmm. mean? And and she's been hiding in a chameleon arch. And once she's out, it turns out that there's all this information that seems to be from the Doctor's past that's been hidden. And of course, then the last two and really three episodes are um, are are uh, all in a line closing it out. So it is very arc structured, even though there are those standalone episodes that are kind of like dropped in there. Um, and it, and so in that way, felt completely different structurally from the previous season. Like it, 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 it feels to me like uh, such an extreme. And I, I wish I knew 
what the impetus for this was, whether it was literally just Chris Chibnall saying, well, here, you know, constructing his Doctor Who playlist and saying, look, season one, we're going to keep it light. Season two, we're going to we're going to lean into it or whether there was course correction after season one. And I, I don't know if we'll ever know if anybody will ever admit to what it is, but it's such a dramatic change in mm-hmm. in the whole feel. I mean, not the look and not the characters. These are the same you know companions that we've met before and the, the three companion uh, team is is fun and and Jodie Whittaker's doctor, doctor uh, is is consistent, but like story wise and season structure wise, it feels uh, shockingly <laughs> um, different than the the approach taken last year. I I agree. Uh, it's 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 such a drastic change that it's tough to believe that that's an organic like. You know, I can't. Right. I can't see the flowchart of going. Okay, we're just going to play it really safe here. Like, we're may, unless it was foot to the floor yeah, in season two. Like, <laughs> like, uh, like I, I wonder. Like in retrospect, I think every. I should say every, but a lot of times when they cast a new doctor, there's often this sort of doubt that creeps into whoever's making the show. Like, will they accept the new person? You know, they they made a big uh, deal of sort of like making like Matt Smith is, is you know, he's just kind of, he's still wearing David Tennant's clothes. Look at him. You could still watch him. He's like, we'll just ease you into the transition. Uh, Peter Capaldi's doctor is literally phoned by Matt Smith, basically telling <laughs> the viewers, it's okay. He's going to be okay. And I almost feel like in retrospect, like, well, we cast a woman doctor let's not go too crazy with the show and just sort of make it accessible and hope that everyone sort of is okay with it and i feel like in all those instances they probably overcorrected i don't think they needed to mm-hmm. be as uh as cautious as they were in in launching their new doctor and their new vision of the show so i almost feel like well maybe we can push the boat out a little bit more i don't, I don't know if chibnall thought that himself or the bbc or bbc studio said let's let's make this a little more more punchier for for the second season but it is it as you say jason it is a marked shift there's a, a certain population who is never going to they never will except a female doctor, which is fine. So they probably were a little overcautious because a lot of people were just in just as quickly as they were for any other transition of the doctor. And uh, yeah, they could have been a lot braver. I, I, I see think. some, you know, it, it is, there's some tentativeness. I know that the idea was also to try and give people a, another jumping on point because I, I definitely talk to people who say, well, it's 50 years of a show. How I could never, I could never start watching it. And so you want to have a jumping on point, but, um, and, and season 11 did that, but it never, like it's like you jump on the bus and then it doesn't ever leave. It was a little like that, right? Where Mm -hmm. it's just sort of like it just it was like, no, no, we're still staying here in case more people want to get on the bus. And that was that was a thing that kind of surprised me about it. Also, the tentativeness about and I I understand the reasoning, but I have noticed in both of these seasons um, a hesitancy to play with the idea that this is the first Doctor Who series with a woman as the doctor ever in any way. Really, there have been very limited, very, there's been very limited use of that. And it just, it surprises me that there isn't a, well, you know what we could do now that we could never do before. And the only moment that it really felt like they did that is in the haunting of the Via Diodati, where, mm-hmm. um, where, uh, uh, Lord Byron. Byron, yeah. Byron keeps hitting on her and she keeps put, being like, stop it <laughs> right but, but I, it's funny because like there's no there was no episode where like there's in spyfall she gets dressed up like james bond right, right. you know there, there there's uh, there's been no episode where the doctor has to dress up 
in like a dress with a lot of makeup or something like that. Right. I think the show is still a little bit like, well, let's not push this too far. Um, but it, it, it seems like it's opening up a little bit more. And I think, yeah, I think season 11, there was just a real hesitancy to push anything too far. And season 12 is like a bananas story arc of a Stephen Moffat and Russell T. Davis kind of level. It is not serene about <laughs> anything. At all. And the doctor, I mean, even just the character of the doctor seems much more in control this season than last season. There were there were a lot of people who, um, well, I saw at least sort of complaining a bit that the doctor seemed much more passive um, in a number of the stories last season. And I was among them, just this sense of, okay, no, but the doctor would do something. The doctor wouldn't just turn mm-hmm. around and let that happen. And that to me was a really disappointing episode, uh, uh, aspect of the the show last season especially being paired with the the, the you know the, the first time a uh, the doctor was a woman um that we saw and so this season she is just m- like every single episode she is marching forward like yeah. like with you know with her fan behind her you know talking a mile a minute and she is going to solve whatever is going on and i felt like i got my doctor back this season in a way that i didn't last season Mm -hmm. i hopefulness and being a fan of doctor who right like i didn't i didn't hate it but also i didn't love it last year and you know i didn't revisit a lot of the episodes and there was really a moment and for me it was i mean uh Annette mentioned Nikola Tesla's Night of Terror, which is episode four. For me, that episode marked the moment where I thought, oh, I think it's going to be okay. Like, Mm -hmm. and I don't think that is a spectacularly good episode, but I thought it was a good Doctor Who episode. And after liking... I liked Spyfall, especially part one. I hated Orphan Twenty or Orphan Fifty Five, mm-hmm. but then and I was and that was that swing of like, oh no, oh no, yeah. oh no, <laughs> what, it's get it's do it's happening, it's terrible. And then Nikola Tesla episode, and I was like, oh yeah, okay, this is gonna be okay. And then the next episode is Fugitive of the Jadoon, which has the whole, which is a I think a good episode that also is a mind blowing episode. And then uh-huh. it was like, yeah, this is great, this is really going good. But there there was definitely some fear, some trepidation going in of like, oh, I hope this isn't, I hope this isn't bad or boring. And uh, great news, it wasn't. It's like <laughs> it makes me feel good. No, ca- cast your mind back to basically all of 2019 when all we had in the way of promotion was a shot of Jodie Whittaker and a Jadoon. And mm-hmm. then that was in like the summer and they were supposed to be at San Diego Comic-Con and then they weren't. And there were might have been a, a New York Comic-Con in October and then they weren't. And then we got like a little photo of like uh, a TARDIS silhouette saying, hey, it's coming back. And like, so there was no buildup. And so I think there was and a lot of boy, doubt. Boy, did as we to complain like, about that. We did. And I, I just, <laughs> I started to lose hope a little bit. And so Spyfall for me was the big episode because it was like oh you know because chris chibnall was always saying oh it's probably the biggest episode we've ever done i thought okay this is just typical showrunner first episode of the season talk and then like we were watching it and they're in south africa and they they're sort of you know pretending to be in san francisco and like mi6 (laughs) is involved like you know stephen fry's there and all of a sudden okay this actually is the biggest episode (laughs) they've ever ever done and i was uh summarily impressed yeah it was super exciting uh opening spy fall part one just 
was like, oh my gosh, like they're all over the place. And also you got to see the companions uh, do stuff that uh, they hadn't done before and be more in peril and be uh, like, it's it kind of, things were, were gelling and, uh, and you didn't, you didn't know why. And I certainly, I think, I think all of us, when we talked about this at one point that, uh, at least on Slack, we didn't know the master was coming back. Um, and that was just a glorious surprise. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It's magical. And Sasha Dewan just, uh, I mean, so many people have, have raved about him, but I mean, just like chef's kiss, this performance is just amazing. <laughs> my, my only regret is that we didn't see enough of, oh, I loved his performance as, yes. oh. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yes. Yes. I, that was, I was so good. Say that. Oh was a good character and oh could have been like, you know, in some other season of Doctor Who could have been one of those like sometimes turning up companions, you know. Apparently everybody but he gets at least one ride on the TARDIS now, mm. too. Yeah. But, you know, the, he, he was good. I liked him just, I really didn't, I was not, I, I did not see the, the clues. And because he was a good, he was a real good character. Yeah, no, they did a good job. And, and that you want that twist with the master coming back. And I, I didn't expect the master to come back. Honestly, after after Missy, I thought that they would let the character rest a little bit longer. But um, but Sasha Dewan has this energy about him. And it is, you know, sometimes he is, it's the maniacal after uh, and very broad. And other times it's not. Other times it's threatening and scary. And it's just, it, it's, it's great. Like the master, I've never loved... Like the master has lots of wild plans that are operatic and ridiculous and are going to be foiled. And we, I think on this podcast, we've even talked at one point about how the the master's plans seem to be that he wants to be stopped by the doctor because that's, that's the fun is he wants to, he wants the doctor to foil him and, and see him and believe in him. Um, but you know, the fact is the performance is so great that it doesn't matter how silly some of the master's schemes can be. I don't really care because if you've got a fun master and Sasha Dewan really is a, a fun master and the, to, to embed it in a, a James Bond riff, basically, I wouldn't say a parody, <laughs> but it is a James Bond riff right down to the the um, kind of like casino night thing that happens in the yeah. wine country in California, so to speak, that was all in uh, all in South Africa. Um, and that's part one. And part two, also a nice little little trick that I feel like Stephen Moffat always liked to do with his two parters, which is part two is totally different. And it's, you know, globe trotting, uh, time traveling uh, still with the master, but it's it's no longer James Bond. At, at that point, it's it's Doctor Who, which I thought was a, a nice touch. I think the stakes felt higher. And I've heard that a lot. Everyone's saying the stakes are higher. Like people were in more danger. The companions, the doctor, hanger ons around them. But also just the stakes in terms of, of bringing back the master like that, bringing back those classic villains. And the, the scope of it was so global. That is not usually something we see. It's often very... Um, England centric. So it was really fun seeing it spread itself so much bigger. And the stakes certainly felt a lot more personal Mm -hmm. um, for the doctor, also for the companions as they, as much as it's fun to see the, you know, you're new in the TARDIS and the jaw dropping and the wandering around and, and, you know, trying to figure out who this person is that they are now traveling with. I always like the companions more about like a season or so in when 
they've gone through all the mechanics of, okay, how am I going to deal with this? And now it's, this is my life now. This is how I'm dealing with it. And settling into the roles of, okay, this is what the doctor needs from a person. And this is how I am explaining it to the rest of my, my, you know, my family, my life. Um, And when it becomes more personal for them, what they are dealing with in, in this, this, you know, amazing person that they've met and, and also have to save the universe and have to figure out everything back home. I, I love that aspect of it. And I feel like we got so much more of that this season, especially toward the middle of the season. My first thing that I totally cracked up in that was like worst Uber ever. Uh, when they get picked up by MI6 and, and Graham says that. And he got a lot of great lines this season, uh, for sure. Yeah. A, lot, a lot of humor in this season. I thought the humor really worked well. And the those, I don't know if the three companions, you know, I like the dynamic of having three companions, but it doesn't give any of them a lot of time to shine. But I do think they made the most of what they were given. And Graham has his funny lines. Ryan had some fun stuff. I think Yaz had some really good stuff this season after getting short shrift last season. Mm -hmm. So I I, I think it worked pretty well. Anybody other thoughts about the companions? We might as well talk about that now. I, I liked I liked how they were like the three of them on their own yet on the run and in danger. They weren't just sort of like let's wait for the doctor to get back um, while she's off doing things. Uh, I you mm-hmm. know I liked that they were sort of like having to hide out and like Grandma sort of trying to like you know keep the others cheered up and you know we'll, we'll get through this like we always do. It's all right and uh, I I kind of liked that they were a little more proactive this year and sometimes they would even split off into like three different yeah. like, storylines, mm-hmm. so to speak. I, it was very William Hartnell era, I thought, in the way that they used um, the companions this year, as opposed to last year, which, which often they would rarely even split them up two and two. It would be like three, like in Witchfinders, for some reason, three of them would uh, search a house and Yaz went off on her own somewhere, like, you know, in 16th century England, which would seem <laughs> kind of strange. I thought they, they used the uh, the TARDIS fam a little better this year. Something that Anthony Johnston said on a couple of the flashcasts he did this year is, uh, as as North Americans, we may not appreciate Bradley Walsh and his fame mm-hmm. in the UK, mm-hmm. but what Ant- Anthony has pointed out is he's very famous, uh, people people love him, and one of the things that the show has has tried to do, and you see it in several episodes this season, is have him open up and express feelings that um, what what Anthony says is that your traditional older man in Great Britain does not feel like they're capable of doing and sort of having Graham be this interesting example of somebody who's kind of growing and more expressive and doing things that that men and especially older men, but men in general are not allowed to do. And I think that's right. I think that's one of the reasons that I like Graham. I, I know that there was some criticism of Graham as, you know, it's a, it's, you know, do we need more white male representation on, on TV? <laughs> but Graham's also older and we don't get a lot of older characters represented on TV or on Doctor Who. And so I think that that Graham is fun, but also he he is providing some emotional weight and a little bit of support. And it leads to that great scene in the last episode where he kind of 
gives Yaz the ultimate pep talk that he says, basically, I think you're even better than the doctor because you do it all without a time machine. Also in Praxius, when he sits down with the um, the one married guy who was not the astronaut and right. has that oh, conversation with him about edge. marriage. Mm-hmm. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> yes. And has that, that really emotional conversation about, uh, about marriage right. and love, mm-hmm. which it was a really nice moment for, for both of them. And also men talking about emotional, uh, emotional, uh, um, discussions is a, it is a good thing to see. He gets to be everyone's dad. Mm-hmm. And I yeah. think, that's a wonderful role to have someone in the TARDIS being everyone's dad, everyone's parent who isn't the doctor, because the doctor is not who you want in that role. You want someone <laughs> a little steadier, a little more um, with their feet on the ground. Um, and he's just been one of the real highlights for me this season is just watching him in that role and i've um and i really hope that we get some more good stuff out of him next season too yeah we'll see i i I think we've got a uh we'll mention it at the end but we've got a holiday special it's unclear what members of this cast will return for a series 13 there are some rumors that it won't be all of them but Mm -hmm. um but we we will have at least one episode with all of them in it, which will be at an undetermined holiday period in 2020. Yeah. It sounds like it's somewhere between yeah. Christmas and New Year's and they, they haven't scheduled and they probably won't schedule that. Stephen, they won't schedule that until way too late, right? Like till like December 4th, they'll be like, OK, it's Dece- it's January 1st for podcast planners. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, well, Chris Chibnall actually said in the in the press release, if we knew, we would tell you that we don't. But <laughs> I kind of believe it. Um, you know. Well, that, this is the thing, though. When you you know refuse the uh, the Christmas uh, day slot for two years in a row, it's not like you're guaranteed to go back again. So maybe he's hoping that they can go back on uh, on Christmas Day. I hope it's Christmas Day again. I did kind of miss it uh, over the past couple of years having a, a Doctor Who episode on on the twenty fifth. Okay, let's take a break. Uh, I want to tell you about a sponsor, and then we'll get back to it. This episode is brought to you by Pingdom from SolarWinds. Now, while you've been listening to The Incomparable, how would you know if your website has gone down? I'm not saying it did. I don't know. I don't have that knowledge. But what if? What if? Would you know that your customers couldn't click the Buy Now button? Would you know it? Would you know it if they couldn't read that article on your website? You might just visit your own website and go, oh, oh no, this thing doesn't work. Like, just lucky for you to find it. That's not good. You need a system and you don't want your customers to complain to you. Probably they'll just leave and not tell you anything. That's no good. You need a service that tells you everything is running smoothly and when it's not. And that's why you need Pingdom. Pingdom detects more than 13 million outages every month on the internet, more than 400,000 outages every day. Your computer will betray you eventually, but Pingdom won't. It'll help keep your sites alive. It doesn't matter whether you're a startup, blogger, like me, yeah, or a Fortune 500 company. That's right. Scales all the way up. Whoever you are, if you need alerts about critical website issues, and you do, Pingdom can help. They'll let you customize how you're alerted depending on the severity of an outage. They'll track and analyze your website's load time so you can see what's affecting the user experience. If you have a site of any size you need, Pingdom, they have a no-fuss approach to getting started. You give them the URL you want to have monitored. They'll take care of the rest. That's it. Go to pingdom.com slash snell right now. 
You get a 14-day free trial, no credit card required. And when you sign up, use the code SNELL, my last name, at checkout. You'll get 30% off your first invoice. Thank you, Pingdom, for keeping the sites alive and warning us when the sites are not alive. Thank you to Pingdom from SolarWinds for supporting the incomparable. Orphan 55, episode three. I'm just going to step through a little bit and see what everybody <laughs> thinks about this. This, uh, this, like I said, uh, this was the, the episode that made me despair. Um, it, 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 it felt it felt super generic to me. Everybody tries to keep sacrificing themselves. Um, it was it was. It's weirdly directed where there are like things you don't see that happen off screen, and I don't know. It it felt. I I can't decide whether it was not a great script or not great direction or they ran out of money or what but this this episode um i don't know it made me sad by the way it, it's it's earth it was earth all along i can't believe it you <laughs> bastards you did it you you yeah. made orphan 55 i can tell you jason it was at least the script if not the script and the directing um it really felt to me like a bad first draft it really did feel like a first draft right like yeah. like i could see the shape of it yeah. And was like, okay, you got to fix some things. And they just, I mean, it, it is, I think parts of it are really badly directed too, but, but yes, why, why can't it be both? <laughs> yeah. It, it, some of the, okay, now this character is going to run out of the room for no reason and put themselves in peril for the only purpose being to make something else happen on this side of the screen. Um, that, I mean, yeah. as a writer, I know when I'm doing that and I know that it's bad and I know I have to go back and fix it. And I feel like they just didn't have the time. They mm. ran out of time and they couldn't go back and fix it. Um, and they were like, okay, it compiles. At least we have, you know, <laughs> no one disappears halfway through and, you know, there's, you know, the, the, the law of character. Yeah. Well, actually, isn't there a moment where there's like, oh, I thought you were dead. Well, I guess not. Like, I yeah. think there is actually a moment yeah. like that. Laura, Laura yeah, Fraser's right. character appears at the end. Yeah. Like, oh, yeah, you you're dead. right. You can't even nope. say that about it. You're right. <laughs> so, yeah, no, they just needed another couple passes on that one and they just didn't get it. It had so much going on, too, with also not enough going on, you know, in terms of actual, you know, story that would would move the you know move you through it but like so many there's a place where the companions split up and that wasn't really a good idea like you know they come to this every there was a lot of uh, a lot of weaknesses it was for me it was like the smile episode of uh, this mm -hmm. uh doctors like the one where the uh Doctor, last Doctor Peter Capaldi and and um, oh, with the with the emoji Bill, robot, Bill. yeah, mm -hmm. it is it is similar yeah. to that one. It is similar to that, that one. Like we're we don't really know where we are or what we're getting into, and then at the very end, we're going to have some major revelation, and boom. It, so it started out as a weird, quirky thing that um, it was like what it's a weird spa, but there's something that's not right. And and I was like kind of into it for the first whatever five or ten minutes when it was like that, and then there seems to have been a moment. Maybe the uh, Helene, maybe the draft got up to that scene, and then after that it was just like well, and then things explode and people run around and scream and okay, oh well. We all leave the safety of the spot. Well, safety, but yeah. everyone loads in a truck and goes into like a hazardous. <laughs> area Space it was truck. like they'd yeah. taken every doctor who bottle episode and put them in a blender yeah. and, and gotten <laughs> like a bit of one a bit of the other 
Uh, yeah, yeah. I, I mean, I, I am I am not as down on it as as everyone else is. I think it's still like the least best story of the season. Mm-hmm. There are some good comedy moments. I love Graham's uh, approach to a holiday. I'm going to go sit over there yes. for three hours. I'm going to go over there yeah, for three hours. And then uh, that Ryan, made me love him uh, so much. Ryan um, <laughs> having the hallucinations there, and uh, you know, and I love the whole sequence of that. And, and the doctor sort of says, "And oh, and remember, the bats aren't real." And yep. you cut to the next <laughs> shot, and in the background, out of focus, you see Ryan swatting around at imaginary <laughs> bats. I, I think this one is kind of like. Uh, you know, the curse of the black spot in that there's a big, there's a big two part story at the beginning and there's a big hook in the middle, that being the doctor's wife at the time. So let's just try and bury this episode right after that. And in between the two pillars, maybe we can just sort of forget about it and ignore it a little bit. And I think that's probably explains the the placement of uh, Orphan 55. I like the idea that every season has like the turkey episode and (laughs) like, because I think about you said curse of the black spot and like my entire body contracted. It was like, there's a handful of episodes that I will never see again. And that is one of them. But the, you know, if, if it made the rest of the season as good as it was to just leave Orphan 55 out there as like, okay, this is the one that's going to just take the beating. I'll live with that. That's fine. My problem with it is that it's a lot easier to have a clunker when they do 13 than when they do 10. Like, Mm -hmm. 10 mm. so precious we get 10 doctor who episodes or we get like 11 doctor who episodes every 18 months and to have one of them feel like it w- you know needed another draft and a little more time to build a truck um <laughs> it's, it is it is kind of disappointing it, it just intensifies the disappointment to to know that they only have so many shots and we just we just missed one of them but it does it happens right like they can't they can't all be gems but this this one feels like that maybe they wish they had it back but oh well you got to you got to you got to air it you got to move on at some point so they did um and and Stephen I agree with you about all that stuff being good that's all in that first part mm-hmm. that I really like where it's weird and yep. and quirky and then and then it's not as quirky and weird after that it's a lot of fun setting up a story isn't it and yeah. in regard mm-hmm. that that, oh, yeah. that goes for anything really <laughs> uh, you know some at some point you have to explain what's going on and put a story behind it but uh, the setup's always fun all right, a Nikola Tesla's Night of Terror in which we meet Nikola Tesla and Thomas Edison and there's like an invisible spaceship over New York City and um and it's a celebrity historical sort of very Doctor Who modern Doctor Who series kind of idea. Um and uh what did everybody think about this one? I liked it. I liked it a lot. It was a lot of fun. Yeah, mm-hmm. very fun. Nice to see Goran uh Vishnik, the from uh from ER. It's great. ER. Yes. He has aged like a fine wine, that man. <laughs> <laughs> he looks really uh he he did look quite fine, although when he, when he first came on, I thought, "Is this Kevin Klein?" And I thought, yes! "That's just weird." Yeah. Oh my God, but yes. So many people then like mentioned that you know on Twitter and stuff. I'm like, "Okay, it's not just me." It was like Kevin Klein is Goran Vesnik, <laughs> yeah. Nikola Tesla in Nikola Tesla's Night of Terror. Although, although to be, f- I think we're all thinking of like Kevin Klein from a fish from, called Wanda. Yeah. He's right. yeah. 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 One of the reasons I felt reassured by this episode is because it's a recognizable Doctor Who plot and concept. Yes, and it's well executed. Like it, mm-hmm. it they it, it gave me great confidence that this production team could 
execute one of the standard Doctor Who moves. And that it just, it really gave me, after the previous episode especially, it gave me a much greater confidence that, like, this is the kind of Doctor Who story that they should be able to do. And and they did. It was fun. It gives you perspective on history. And uh, it, mm-hmm. it is, it, you know, Nikola Tesla is a genius and he doesn't get recognized and he kind of dies poor. They didn't mention pigeons at any point, but he's got his pet pigeons (laughs) and all that. And Thomas Edison's kind of an awful person who was more about marketing than creating. And it's all in there. Plus weird aliens because it's Dr. And a train. And and good frocks. And yes, excellent costumes. And Canada. Canada, we have to mention, we see Canada (laughs) across. It was kind of just a tease though, because we were so briefly there. Yes. But but and then in Niagara gone. Falls, that's like, is that officially canonically the first time that Doctor Who in universe has has shown Canada? Yeah, Steven? it's been set in. They've mentioned it three or four times. Uh, the great Canadian wheat, wheat plains are safe. Uh, Salamander says in the enemy of the world. Don't um, forget the, uh, the what is it, a talking something in Ontario. In, later oh in yeah, talking cat in oh, Ontario. Cat. That's right. Cat. Yeah. yeah. Okay, uh, let's talk about the big one at the middle of this season, the fugitive of the June, which is the thing that we got. As Stephen mentioned, it was like our one publicity shot because they were going to shoot outside and people were going to see the Jadoon. So the BBC releases a photo saying, "Oh, the Jadoon are going to be back," and everybody's like, "Well, why do, are you telling us this?" And the answer is because everybody's going to see them tomorrow, and so we might as well tell you today that we're <laughs> using them. And it starts out as so. This episode. I, I was thinking about Utopia a lot, the episode Utopia this season, because I feel like that was mm. a that was kind of a a manual for a bunch of episodes this season. Oh yeah, and and, and this one is is you, like Utopia in the sense that it seems like it's a pretty standard Doctor Who plot, a fun one. I think this is a really fun episode. And then mm-hmm. there's that moment where a a uh, a chameleon arch is <laughs> discovered and everything changes <laughs> into a much bigger kind of story. Um, and so we get we get the Jadoon and the mystery of who the who the uh, the the fugitive is, and we get sort of misled, and then we realize that it's actually Ruth, but it turns out Ruth is a human, but it turns out she's not a human; she's actually a Time Lord, and it's the Doctor. And how could that be? Um, and also, in completely disconnected scenes shot in a studio somewhere, Captain Jack appears. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yeah, that was exciting. Yeah, was it? Was it? I I gotta say, I in hindsight for this season, the Captain Jack stuff feels super weird to me because it's complete. You know, he doesn't meet the Doctor, although he does meet the companions. It's on this one set. It's like he was there for a day. Yeah, Yeah. he's there to impart cryptic information that he doesn't explain, and then he just goes away. And I, I at the time, it was like it's nice to see Jack, but I'm very frustrated by how that was handled because he's he doesn't you know he, he all of his information is expressed in riddles and then he goes away and he's only on that one in that one scene so i don't know yeah i think that's the difference between like the first watch and maybe the rewatch and certainly once you've seen the whole season like you know i thought that was going to be more um of a you know contributing plot point and i mean yes the warning about the the lone cyberman but since the doctor ignores the warning was it you know Mm-hmm. Would it have mattered if there was a, a Jack Harkness thing? But it would have mattered to me because just seeing him, you know, being a classic Captain Jack and kissing Graham. Yeah. I mean, mm-hmm. kissing him big right on the lips. And that that's great. that's something, you know, just to work that in, I think was worth it. Um, and, uh, 
yeah. So I, I it made me happy when I saw it. When you know, I, I I'm not discounting the fact that it it's. I would like to know more now why they decided to do that, and if it was just that oh, they they could well. It, it, that's how it does feel. You're right. I, I, something about that cameo being, if that's what you can call it, being in that episode. If that, if that sequence had appeared in a different episode, I think it would have been a little more like frustrating to me. Um, of like, oh, and then suddenly Captain Jack appears because suddenly Jack, Jack Captain Jack appears, and then like the lid is blown off the universe. Mm-hmm. And so for him to be sort of the harbinger of this crazy thing that's about to completely change everything felt a little more, I don't know, a grounding, if that's the right word for it, because it's like a familiar face who's going to tell you that everything's about to change. Mm -hmm. And that felt uh, a little more special to me in that he was the one who sort of came in yelling about everything that was about to happen. Also, I just really like Jack. He's just, <laughs> yeah. he's just, he's like, I like the way that, uh, that the, the companions put it. He's cheesy, but a good cheesy. <laughs> it's like, he's, he's so, I, I, you know, I like, I want to roll my eyes, but also just grin at the same time. He's just so much fun. He's, he's having so much fun. I, I think it was, um, well, first I, I think it's going to come back. They kind of brought him back and not put him in the same room sure. as the doctor. So I feel like at some point it's going to come back. I also have a theory that it was like used to disguise the reveal by mm. in case someone was finding out something big is happening in this episode. They sort of oh. had that as a buffer and saying like, Oh, surprise. It was all about Jack. Cause they spoiled it almost before it happened. Um, there was rumors of it going around and I feel like that was a distraction so that we were all paying attention to that instead of looking for the deeper secret. So that's mm. my theory is they put it there. So all this 11 dimensional chess yeah, that these they people were like, have just to play. hiding the, the real secret even deeper by distracting us <laughs> with like dangling <laughs> Captain Jack in front of us and going, look it. And then we just didn't look any further. So that's yeah. my theory. Of all episodes, I think I can see the joins in this one and kudos to everyone for making it actually like probably the one of the best episodes of the season, if not for years. Mm-hmm. I really, really like this. It's but so good. I, I look at it and, and you know, I, I talked to Vinay Patel on the Radio Free Scarlet live show. He co-wrote this episode and I know that he was a little, he posted on his Instagram about, you know, like, uh, maybe I'm ready to like sort of branch out on my own and not do co-writing anymore. I think he was, there were some frustrations going on. I think he had some <laughs> original monsters um, that he had in this script and then they changed it to Jadoon. And so he had to do a quick rewrite on that. I'm wondering if that's because uh, the long-standing visual effects and prosthetics makers, Millennium Effects, uh, quit after the first production block on this season, which Ooh. might have thrown things into turmoil. Um, and then also the, the Captain Jack thing, it feels almost like they, the three companions could have been teleported out for another different reason altogether in an original script and they thought i tell you what let's put captain jack there because he wanted to come back and it would just be a fun little hook in the middle of an episode we could shoot it in one day we could tease the story arc 
We can make right. something something to make you wonder about the about the lone Cyberman. So that and it gets them off screen because the Doctor is with Ruth for this with Ruth fast exactly. Part of the yeah. episode. So I I wonder if there's like an alternate version basically where they shot and then didn't use where basically Ryan, uh, Yaz and Graham get zapped into some sort of ship from the original different monsters or something. They had to like and so basically the jack bit is like there to cover up everything else. And I don't honestly I don't even think there's supposed to be a warning about the lone you know because you hear about it in like in the in the seconds after they all see the lone Cyberman appear in the haunted house and then that's it they don't talk about them very much after that I think that was actually just grafted on hmm. after they shot you know basically what we need Captain Jack to do something I know we have a Cyberman coming up <laughs> let's <laughs> let's warn them about the Cyberman so that at least he has some reason to be there because um, otherwise he's he's really not there for anything other well, than to like kissing be, Graham come on he's kissing Graham, kiss Graham some he's more. there, there for, fun, for my but, joy <laughs> yes you know, yeah. Stephen, Stephen what it feels like to me is that it felt very much in tone like one of those uh, like children in need special mini episode oh. kind of things <laughs> Yes. Because yeah. it's one set, there's lots of explosions, Jack talks really fast about how, oh, they're coming to get me, and oh, there's this thing, and oh, no, but you don't really see any of it, because there's only the mm-hmm. one set, and it, it uh, you just, all my alarms are going off, which again, I think John Barrowman is hilarious, I think that seeing Jack again is great, but the way it's done, it's very weird, and it doesn't fit, and you're right, Stephen, you can sort of see all of the, the joins, but the other part of the story where... You know, there's the twist where it turns out that Lee, who we first we think he's awful and mm-hmm. and then we find out that he's actually protecting her or she's protecting him or he's on the run. And the twist is that it's not him and that he's protecting her and she has these mysterious abilities and it gets more and more like like impending doom feelings as they drive out to the lighthouse and she's having visions. And I'm already thinking, Oh man, is this a, 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 a chameleon arch kind of thing? Is this a utopia, a human nature kind of thing? And indeed that's what it is. But there's another twist, which is that <laughs> the doctor is unearthing a police box in the front yard because she is the doctor. And f- how could that possibly be? And she's not from the future. She's from the past. Um, and that part of it, like that whole thing and the pacing of it and the, the, the direction of mm-hmm. that and the mm-hmm. cutting back and forth between the storylines, building the tension, it's so effective that, it, you know, it, it makes me forgive. Well, not entirely, obviously, the, the like <laughs> the weirdness of some of the earlier parts and, and the Captain Jack being kind of injected because that other part, it works so well. That's the kind of thing I, I have. Wa- I've replayed that like 10 minutes of the episode like 10 times. It's so amazingly well done that was the first episode in a while where i had to just watch it again yeah where it was like okay no i'm going back i am watching that whole thing again and i am seeing if it hangs together and i'm uh you know with with the knowledge uh seeing how they did it and it was just it was phenomenal i was like the 10th doctor going what (laughs) what (laughs) and and i'm watching it alone I go and run and I tell my husband everything and he's like, yeah, whatever. <laughs> I need to have my who people around because it was just so exciting and just blew my mind. And 
everyone I knew who likes who was podcasting about it already. And I'm like, oh, <laughs> yeah. who am I supposed to talk to? Because it was so momentous and so amazing. It was pretty exciting too. You know, I also had to rewatch it. And like going back to the beginning of that episode, when you first see Ruth and her character, which is such a great character, like I really didn't think she was like the you know, a shadow of her, whatever her former self is supposed to be. She seemed like she's where she should be and who she should be. And when you think about like the doctor, um, you know, David Tennant doctor being, you know, not knowing who he is, he was kind of like, yeah, you know, he was just like this sort of milk toasty, uh, uh, boarding school teacher, and even the master was like this weird inventor in Utopia. And this was a doc, you know, a doctor in hiding who was had this great, great, like kind of full personality. And I really enjoyed her character before she became the doctor, um, or before we knew she was the doctor. I was wondering, when we get the reveal Part of me was wondering if this was some sort of she only thinks she's the doctor. Like there was mm-hmm. that episode of that Christmas special way yeah. back when, where it was someone who'd had yeah. sort of like the memories injected the next into doctor. them. Yes, yeah. the next doctor, right. and and then she's she and 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 our doctor start trading barbs about their outfits. And that yes. was, I was like, that's it. She's the doctor. Yep. She's actually the doctor. Otherwise, that that's, it, it's like, that's the classic sign is when they start like <laughs> negging each other's clothing. That's like, that's the, do- <laughs> they, they can't stand each other. That's it. I agree. By the end of the episode, I was pretty sure she is legit uh-huh. the doctor. That, mm-hmm. That's, I think, one of the beautiful things about how they handled the reveal of Joe Martin as the doctor is the whole point is it is the doctor like her behavior is consistent she's running away from authority figures that want her to do bad stuff she's going to avoid that she's going to hide she's got the same attitude you know and then and then they have that line where they where she and Jodie Whittaker all say the same things and they end up with the same Mm -hmm. brain right like it's 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 recognizably the doctor and that's how you can believe it right it's like this is not some alternate doctor or or this is back when I was totally different and then that of course pays off in the last episode which is the same thing which is I I've revealed that the you know I it's been revealed to me that there was more of my life than I don't know but it doesn't change who I am it, you know and and that's clear the moment you see Joe Martin she is she's clearly the doctor right she's mm-hmm. got the outfit she's got the tardis she's got the attitude um great casting um and mm-hmm. yeah for us doctor who you know fans with memories of the past it's also just kind of a mind-blowing one bit of one-upsmanship right Stephen Moffat's like what if there was a secret doctor hidden between two other doctors and Chris Chibnall's <laughs> like what if there were an uncounted number of doctors you've never even heard of yeah. <laughs> hold my beer says Chris yeah. Chibnall hold my case of beer hold my infinite beers <laughs> I love that moment where uh, the new doctor in this story is you know is threatening the Jadoon and uh our doctor says, like, but the doctor doesn't use weapons. And she's like, I know. Shut up. I'm trying to pick them out here. Yeah. 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 Her arrogance of being the doctor just assumes that she knows best about how to deal with the situation that she knows mm-hmm. nothing about. I kind of like yeah. that. Yeah. Stephen, Stephen, how did you feel about the, the, uh, 
Chris Chibnall master plan of completely uh, <laughs> making you question everything we know about the doctor and introducing new doctors that we've never seen before. Well, I mean, I have to wonder, imagine if they didn't have uh, the Ruth doctor in this episode, like if that wasn't part of the reveal and instead at, we only got the big info dump and it was an info dump uh, in episode 10. I mean, I feel like having Ruth there sort of like challenged and questioned what we knew about uh, Doctor Who. Oh yeah, <laughs> no. General. Episode ten wouldn't make any sense, or it would no. feel feel really tacked on if we hadn't yeah. had it previewed for us here. We had five weeks to sort of like brace ourselves and think, <laughs> okay, well, let's come up with eighteen different theories as to who the Truth Doctor is, and and how we can still maintain that William Hartnell is the first Doctor, and everything comes after that in numerical order. Uh, and then we really can't, but. Um, but that's what we find out in the season finale, not here. But anyway, Joe Martin did a good job, and it, it's a, uh, it's it's fun, it's a it's a it's a great moment, a great reveal. Um, still, we still I, don't understand. I hope we get more of her though, right? Because I feel like there yeah. could be another episode, maybe at Christmas, <laughs> which would make sense. She would show up in. Well, I mean, to quote uh, what you often say on uh, Vulcan, "Hello, they built the set. They have a new TARDIS set there, so it's <laughs> yeah. like." It feels very much like they, they've they've amortized that set across an adventure in space and time and twice upon a time and uh, the the last story with Clara and well the, well it's a new that the walls are entirely different but okay. the console is is the same it's that as same the, console right yeah as uh, uh, Day of the Doctor whenever it was or our our adventure in space and time yeah you know. yeah they they you know trust us if we build a classic TARDIS console we'll use it. Yeah. <laughs> again and again. In fact, in the finale, there are literally two of them. Mm-hmm. Right. It's just great. Uh, so many Tardises. There's there's like the house one, and there's the diner one, and there's the tree one. Mm-hmm. So many chameleons. Yeah, Kick it around. One. How many other Tardises? Are there? There's there's so many different Tardises. Eventually, I'm gonna get one. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> They're just laying yeah. around. Anytime you walk by a tree, just check to see if it might be a Tardis. That's what I'm yeah. saying. Um, okay, Praxius came next, and everybody was sort of expecting a letdown because of the momentous things at the end of Fugitive of the Jadoon. But like Spyfall, Praxius is Doctor Who doing like globe trotting adventure, and they've got it set all around the world, and there is, and they keep taking the TARDIS sort of like between places in order to f- move the plot along. Um, it, there's a, you know, there are parts about it that don't entirely add up, involving the like the astronaut and all of that. Uh, there, there's sending a text message and things like that, but. Uh, and there's also a character who kind of just is, he's literally left to the birds. <laughs> <Yeah>. He dies <laughs> and nobody yeah. mentions him again. And it's like, poor guy. I, I, I kept waiting for the, the, in the last scene for him to emerge from under like a, a tire and say, I'm okay. But he was not okay. So post credit scene. Yeah. It, but, uh, but you know, this, I, I think a lot of us were expecting a real letdown after that momentous episode. And like, like uh, the Nikola Tesla episode, I thought it was really fun. And although the end kind of is a flop when they finally have to reveal what the story is, they reveal it so late that you end up with like 45 <laughs> minutes of really fun globetrotting adventure with Doctor Who and the, and and all of uh, her friends and all of her new friends that she's picked up for one episode and they keep going in and out of the TARDIS. And I don't know. I thought it was a blast, even though I, I, I can criticize some of the, the plot. I thought Praxius actually worked pretty well. And I love that they are they're making the most of shooting in South Africa and, you know, getting all these different kinds of exteriors to make it really feel like a, 
probably a much more expensive show than it actually is. I think this is why there's only 10 episodes now as opposed to 12 or 13, because it basically takes the budget of 13 episodes to make 10 episodes. Yeah. Now, mm. if they want to like um, go as, as big and wide and very like they sh- I think they shot parts in, in Spain, too, I think. Yeah, I think this episode's got all the all the international stuff is slotted in at one <laughs> point or another. Yeah, I think yeah, South Africa doubles for Madagascar, Peru and Hong Kong, I believe. Uh-huh. Uh, maybe Hong, mm-hmm. maybe not so much Hong Kong. And it's probably somewhere in a studio somewhere perhaps but yeah hong kong is like an alley in cardiff and then a studio yeah but yeah because that's all ever hong kong is as dark alleys it seems in english Mm. films i love the way that uh each of the uh the time fam are introduced and that we you know the tardis isn't land and then we see them all come out you know they've they they allude to it at the begin at the end of the last episode and then at the start of this, we can tell everyone's been fully briefed. They're already on the way on their quest and uh-huh. stuff. We see Ryan in the background show up in the middle of uh, in Peru. Uh, all of a sudden, Graham and Yaz are in the alley with uh, with Warren Brown's character in Hong Kong, and the, I just I love it when uh, when we don't have traditional doctor and companion entrances in a story. And I, I think when, once that was sort of going, I, I was I was in. Yeah, great great pacing. Great pacing. Like like I said, my only complaint about the pacing is that you get to 10 minutes to go in the episode and you think, when are they going to explain it? And then the story sort of comes to a stop while they explain everything that's yeah. just happened. But it's okay. It's all right. It's fine. As a like very special episode about like climate change and, and what we're doing to the earth, I thought Praxius worked much, much better than Orphan 55 um, in that... Yeah. The, you know, the, the whole microplastics and the bacteria, you know, coming down to Earth and feeding on the microplastics. It's like the plot is a consequence of humans' terrible decisions, not, you know, humans made terrible decisions and therefore, surprise, this is Earth and it's terrible. It's it's more like we're taking that as a given and going from there and seeing where the consequences fall um, more than preaching directly um, basically to, to the audience. And it felt a little more creepy, I think for, for that, um, for that reason. The aliens are on earth because we've filled our planet with microplastics. And it's, it is like you said, a consequence of the story. And although this does have a message, it's also just a fact, right? Like microplastics are a real thing. And, and, Mm -hmm. and yes, it is a problem, but also it's a, it's bundled up here as a science fictional premise, which I really like. And for those who were saying Doctor Who well, is is too political, like, what was it, 1973 that the Green Death was? I mean, like, Doctor yep. Who's always been political, <laughs> or at least for a very, very, very long time has been political, and even inv- about environmental issues. Yeah. I find it fascinating that what the ocean gyres and those big giant uh, uh, waste dumps that are basically in these ocean currents and the ocean, like they, they've only been found in the in the last ten years. I did some reading up. On, I did a reading up on a few Doctor Who stories this year, uh, which I, I don't usually do. It's 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 ed, it's educational as well. Uh, so I just love that it's a relatively new environmental threat. A bunch of water bottles floating in the Indian Ocean and elsewhere. Uh, so I, I like it that uh, the Doctor Who finds current uh, environmental crises to. To, to base stories around. I also liked that uh, we had a little romance in here and they didn't bury their gaze. They let mm. them live. Yeah. And they, uh, yes, it was a little last minute. Sure, they rescued him. But I, they yeah. killed a lot of people this season. So it was nice to see you kind of got invested in that relationship 
from the both of them and they save one and then they save the other one and i prefer it when they save them because yeah you know it, it happens sometimes where the doctor says i'm sorry i just can't save them it's like you have a magic time box just go get <laughs> yeah. the guy on the spaceship them. before he dies okay like you exactly. can do this so they do it's fine and then everyone goes off and lives happily ever after i do wish their marriage had been a little more convincing mm-hmm. it, it was well it, the cop the cop on the edge character i have to say i keep calling him that like <laughs> he's 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 a that's a stock that's a stock character right. and 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 ast, you know dashing astronaut also kind of a stock character what they do with them is interesting but there's yeah yeah because they're separated when we see them. they've been separated for months um, that's why he's on the edge Exactly. Mm-hmm. <laughs> when they start out, he's trying to he's trying to feel like validated the, uh, basically throughout the yeah, episode. Yeah, because he's been suspended so. and he does, it's because he doesn't play by the rules, yeah. Stephen. He's a cop on the <laughs> he edge. He doesn't play by the rules. <laughs> he's, he's the same cop as he was like in Luther, perhaps. And it's like, maybe it's maybe <laughs> you look at it. Maybe that's the cop in Luther that goes off the job and marries an astronaut. Mm-hmm. Maybe. In the combined Doctor Who Luther universe, yes. which is why Idris Elba can never be Doctor Who, apparently. That's right. But, unless, <laughs> unless he's a, a hidden regeneration when back that when he was, he was in the chameleon arch and was <laughs> Luther. One is the doctor. For yeah. all the doctor yep, at some turns point. Out. Can You Hear Me was next. And this is an, another episode that I'm just going to say, I really liked it. And I felt pacing wise, it was similar to Praxius in that it has got a lot going on. We we have Aleppo. Um, and and there, the idea here is that there are these uh, creatures that are basically attacking people who have um, mental illness. Um, and there are people having nightmares and Ryan is with his friend who is struggling with depression. And in the end, we end up with this a weird planet that is like uh, attached to another planet and they're in between. There's like a prison and it's very strange, but but, you know, explained, but super strange. And the idea is that there is a monstrous godlike uh, immortal who has been trapped there and the doctor is sort of tricked into letting her out. And similarly, in, in terms of pacing, it, it got very late in the episode. And I was thinking, how are they going to resolve this? Because there's so much <laughs> exciting, momentous setup. And then uh, and, and then this one, they resolve it fairly quickly and I think pretty well. And my, my big complaint about this episode is that I feel like they, they created a legitimately scary, powerful villain to or pair of villains mm-hmm. for the Doctor to fight over the course of a season maybe and instead well nope they're not the story arc and so they're dispatched in about five minutes but i think they're creepy villains and i thought this was a a a well-paced episode and like some of these other episodes it was about something because it is about Mm -hmm. mental illness and dealing with that illness and the stigmas of that illness and yaz it's revealed has a history where she ran away and it's an open question if there were there was more to that story i think it's sort of very lightly implied that she might have considered suicide but it i think it feels like they kind of backed off it a little bit but still that's what this episode is about um can you hear me it's about um, it, it's, you know, again, it's taking something that's from the real world and then wrapping a Doctor Who kind of coding on top of it. Well, I love the opening. I mean, Aleppo, not a place that you... 14th century you know, Aleppo, no less. The, yeah. yeah, 14th century Aleppo. I and, really wanted to see more of it. Yeah. I wish we could have yeah. seen more of it. Yeah, it was. Yeah. It, I was hoping it was one of the, that, like, the setting of the episode, but it turns out it's a small piece of yeah, the episode you know it was a device uh but it's making the point that that in the in the muslim world in the 14th century the the um the medicine 
and how patients are treated is actually quite advanced, more advanced than in other parts of the world in that era, which is, I think, a good point to make. It was nice to see that. Yeah, I mean, it didn't. I didn't cotton on to it at all that that was a mental hospital to begin with until you know she really started talking about these visions. And even then, I didn't think they were visions because I was like, "Well, she, this is a Doctor, Doctor Who, Who show. Right. The monsters are going to be real," but they weren't. Um, they were created by her. But then they were. Yeah, <laughs> they were. That, those were good monsters, hmm. by the way. That was good monster design. I thought. I loved the. Um, the glimpses that we see of the companions back home uh, mm-hmm. dealing with their friends and the consequences yeah. of being away, but also having the perspective, especially uh, Ryan. He knows he screwed up, you know, by not being there for his friend, but now he's going to go and deal with it and listen and believe his friend when he says that I see a guy standing in my room every night in a way that I don't think Ryan would have had he not had that experience, his experience with the doctor. Right. So it's sort of interesting, especially I feel like this was the best Ryan episode this uh, this season and that we get to see that he's a steadier person than he was before. Um, and you get to see how even, you know, maybe he wasn't there for his friend, but now that he is, he is really going to be there and he's going to listen. And I think it's probably like, uh, you know, they had a whole episode, Demons of the Punjab, are based around Yaz's family, but I feel we get so much more out of this. Um, because, you know, at the beginning, Yaz and her sister, like, you know, it's been three years, you know, they, they so, do you think we should still like note this, mark this day? Like, you know, they get pizza and watch a movie and Yaz falls asleep. This is how it always happens. And we don't know what they're celebrating at this point. And I also like that, um, their parents are gone. It's almost like after three years, I'm not sure if their parents know that Yaz possibly considered suicide and ran away and then had that uh, chance encounter with a cop that basically led her to become a police uh, officer. Um, You just learned so much about her in just by stuff like without the info dump in a way, just by showing you, which I kind of appreciate. There are other times during this series, which are perhaps get like sit down uh, because we're going to Google things for you and tell you things. Um, But this time we actually sort of saw uh, elements of her life that explain her character. Now it was such a good yeah story. The monsters are also like the gods. They are sort of a personification of the mental illness in a way that works really well. And then you have proper monsters as well. So you have that presence in the room that could or could not be real. That feeling of darkness and evil or, you know, it just felt like a really good way of presenting mental illness as a monster mm-hmm. by that ever present feeling which then this case becomes something and yeah. And then they can actually fight against it and battle it, which was interesting. You know, it's really, it was funny. Usually I really don't like it when they like beat the baddie in five, the five minutes at the end of the episode. For some reason this time, it almost made me laugh that they just, that it was so fast and so sure footed. And if you go back and you look, there's, okay, yeah, they set it up where you have this element and this element and this element, and we're going to bring them together and bam, the baddies are now like locked in their own cage. And something about that was almost 
like, yeah, we know we're going to do this. We know we're going to like solve it in the last five minutes, but you know that we're going to. And so who cares? And we're, we're just going to do it. And they're going to be like there in the sphere, like yelling as the, the, the monster who was almost like literally on top of them is menacing them. And it was just the, they were so suddenly brought low that I appreciated it. And maybe a part of that was because the whole message was about the the, the strength, like the the, the resilience of, of the human mind, right. and that this was sort of the proving of that, right? Because they they attack us because they say that you know humans alone in the universe, you know, are are at war with themselves internally and all of that. Like they're, they're saying that this is why they're here is because of that yeah. aspect of us. Yeah, my only complaint about it is that I thought they were really good creepy villains, and I was disappointed that they were dispatched because I thought they could have been you know, slunk away to return and threaten another time because I thought they, they were really good. They could escape. Yeah. Eh, they could. They'll get yeah. out. Sure. If they need to, if the script <laughs> requires. Yeah. I like that they went out of their way to sort of, you know, say, well, I, you know, I'm almost kind of like the celestial toy maker or the guardians, oh, perhaps. Yeah. Or the, yes, they the basically Eternals. rattled off all the other, uh, you know, uh, ephemeral godlike beings in Doctor Who's past just so the fans could go, okay, it's none of these. It's someone right. entirely new. <laughs> um, I like them. It also the has, difference. yeah. Yes. Yeah, exactly. It also has one of my favorite sequences of the whole season, which is that uh, that sort of animation with mm. that looks like yes. it's um, like made from like cave drawings and stuff. I thought that was just utterly gorgeous. And I would like every Doctor Who uh, episode recap to be made in a similar style All from right. now on by the BBC. It was so magical. It just felt perfect. Right. Yeah. So this is that moment in the season where I'm like, OK, this is this is not just thank goodness they're on the rails. Because it was yeah. like, this is four really good stories all in a row. Yeah. Like, that. this is the moment where I thought, okay, all right, we're there. And then we get, speaking of Utopia, once again, we get a, a an episode that appears to be not leading into, but just the next episode before the two-part finale that is actually directly leading into the two-part finale which is the haunting of the via diodati which is of course it's it's mary shelley it's the night she's writing frankenstein again celebrity historical we feel like we know what we're seeing but it's more than that when the lone cyberman appears and it turns out that uh that shelley uh percy shelley has absorbed this cyberman ai called the siberium and the lone cyberman wants it back but i you know so I watched this episode at the Doctor Who convention with many of the people on this podcast, and I find it hard (laughs) to judge because that was such a magical moment to be in a room full of fans watching a new episode of Doctor Who that was out that day. But having watched it again since then, I think this is a really brilliant episode because it is both a fun historical about these interesting people and a message about how you can change the world with just the power of your thoughts and your mind and your words. Words matter, the doctor says, and Mm -hmm. has this amazing twist, which where it's revealed that the the doctor has to make this decision about the future because Captain Jack sent a message saying, don't give it what it wants. And the only way to save Shelley is to give it what it wants. So, I mean, am am I, am I, am I wrong? Am I caught up in the enthusiasm of, of being at galley for this or, or, or am I right? And this is a great episode. Tell me, validate me or reject me. I leave it to you. 
It's a great episode. This is the third episode I've seen at a convention. Uh, I saw Heaven Sent at Chicago TARDIS with a room full of people. That was magical. Nothing, (laughs) possibly not even Day of the Doctor will top that uh, because it's one of my favorite episodes of all time. But two weeks prior to that, I saw Sleep No More at a convention in uh, in Long Island. So... So it's it's so you have perspective is what you're saying. I have perspective. Sometimes <laughs> not every episode you watch with a crowd of Doctor Who fans is going to be a good episode. So yes, Jason, this is a very good episode of right? Doctor Who. Whether you you're watching it with 1,800 people or alone, it's a haunted house episode. But you know it's Doctor Who, yeah. so you know it's going to be more than that. Although then there's the twist at the end where it turns out that no, Graham just saw a ghost. That's yeah. <laughs> there was actually so a ghost. It's fine. Yeah, but it like it looks it looks great. It it, it moves along. The pacing is good. There's funny. There's a lot of funny stuff. There's scary stuff. It's quite a quite a mix, and it all holds together. And it's a Regency episode, which just warms the cockles of my heart. And they have a dance scene where they're relaying right. information from person to person, yeah. which is just so fun. And it might this episode. When I saw this episode, I, I'm like, this might be one of my favorite episodes ever. And I think it's so good because it works in the whole, but it also works. I can go watch this episode all up by itself whenever I feel like it. Mm-hmm. it's going to make me very happy for a long time. I love um, episodes or really anything that validates my life choices. And so having been an English major that that uh, specialized <laughs> in romantic poetry um, in, in undergrad, that for me was like, okay, I I know the lines that he's quoting. I know, you know, the, the particular dynamic that's going on here, the reference to, you know, per, uh, to Shelley drowning and, and, and that that right. was his death. Um, um, that that all sort of warmed my my cold heart. So uh, so I did like it. If you had told me that Doctor Who would eventually do an episode that basically says that the Cybermen inspired Frankenstein, I kind of roll my eyes and be like, "Well, I can I can imagine how that episode's mm-hmm. going to go." And this is this is that episode, and it doesn't do it anything like I would expect it to. Right? It kind of backs yeah. into it that you get there and you're like, "Oh, I see what's happening here," but it backs into it in a way that I I didn't see coming, and that it makes it a nice twist. And then at the end, yet all the themes are there, and it makes sense that that it would it would be the inspiration for Frankenstein. And it still gives mm-hmm. Mary her due. Yeah, that, totally. That she, it's that she is a brilliant mind, and that she is taking in everything that she's seeing and processing it and elevating it, and that that is what is going to become Frankenstein instead of Frankenstein being handed to her on a platter, right. and you see her going, "Oh, light bulb," and then you <laughs> know, write down, um, which I think a lesser episode might have done. For sure. I think um, you know. We had that bad episode a couple seasons ago, Knock Knock, remember, with the haunted house oh. with the wood bugs. And so like haunted houses, I think I'm always like, they could go one way or the, you know, either way. And, uh, and you know, realizing like the, the haunting was something, you know, totally uh, unexpected. It was, you know what was happening with the Siberium and, and Shelley, but then having the twist at the end where it's like, and the house is actually haunted. Um, and the, the ghosts there will make sandwiches for you. It was like, (laughs) it was very funny. I mean, there's a lot of funny moments in it. And I also like, there was a really brief shout out to, uh, Ada Lovelace, daughter of Lord Byron. Right. Connecting back to an earlier episode this season. Right. 
And uh, that's where, you know, I'm like, Ada Lovelace, more, you know, more credit for Mm -hmm. Ada Lovelace again. And uh, that was Yeah, Yaz at the very beginning saying one of the rules was no one snog Byron. I was (laughs) so happy about that because it just assumed a basic knowledge of like poetic and literary history that uh-huh. I'm never sure that an, that a show like this will feel they have to educate the audience. And I was like, no, everyone knows. Everyone knows Byron just snogged everyone yeah. and you shouldn't snog Byron because that, <laughs> that way lies trouble. And he's and in this episode, he is a buffoon, right? He, he is picking up on the doctor. His girlfriend is there and she's basically like he hides behind her at one point right and then yes. and then it leads to that great scene at the very end where she tells him off and says you know you the the whatever the, the spell ma- is broken the spell, the spell is, is broken, broken sir yes it's perfect and then and then uh there's a a very funny smile because it's like yeah that's you you're a jerk and, and, and that's it it's <laughs> it's uh it's good but also his his moments where he's very interested in mrs doctor uh and she's like just shut up like it's great it's very funny and I don't know. It's a uh, it's a it's a really good episode. Uh, plus, it ties into the story arc in an unexpected way because you know what's spookier than a haunted house? Maybe a alone damaged Cyberman floating over a lake. That's super creepy. Oh, that was a little creepy, especially when you can't tell what it was. It's just this glowing yeah. figure, like just sort of like blinks in and out. I mean, it was so well shot. I mean, I don't think technology existed 15 years ago uh like it did like when when stanley kubrick had to get like you know nasa film lenses to film uh by candlelight and barry linden in 1975 and they did so in hyde and i'm pretty sure they did so here and it just makes so like the lighting of it is lit by candles you can tell because you're in a house that's lit by candles and that just gives it such a a natural creepy atmosphere and then the you know the rooms keep changing and stuff it uh, it was um, it, it was so unsettling. I'm not usually a horror fan, but I was like, "Oh, this is really creepy and stuff," um, and it was really good. And Ashad, Ashad, the lone Cyberman, is a an interesting. I said this on the Flashcast. He's an interesting Cyberman because he's got a personality and he's angry and he has a plan and he's and he. You, we can see part of his face underneath. And it's like I I think maybe the most interesting Cyberman character ever for me because it's he's got a personality and he's creepy and he's a monster but also recognizably a person and i don't know there's something about that that this is a a broken kind of wannabe cyberman who's behind this whole plot like he's he's creepy and that you know that extends off into the into the season finale as well i i I like that character yeah, and and like really su- a couple moments of surprising grimness, you know, when uh, when he opens the the cabinet or the chest where the um, the housemate is with the baby, and they cut, her. you know, they cut to the wide shot, and you know, she the the poor woman screaming, and then you just hear like a neck snap or something, You're like you know, if in previous eras they would have like sort of like he would go ah, and then they'd cut to cut to a different scene, and we wouldn't see the moment when she dies, and then later on when it looks like Mary Shelley's getting through to him, and he sort of. You know, goes on, you know, yes, I killed them. I, I slit the throats of the children. Just like, wow, this is like, this is, yeah. this is so not series 11 safe Doctor <laughs> Who right now. <laughs> Suddenly we're talking about slitting throats of children. I just thought this is a, this escalated quickly. Family viewing. Yeah. It was also very fun to go back to your original premise that we got to have that reveal in a room full of people because everyone getting to like gasp and delight at the same time of the reveal of the Cybermen was just yeah made it all the more fun so 
the uh, the two part finale ascension of the Cybermen and the Timeless Children. It's really sort of like uh, part one is uh, lots of Cybermen stuff. It is this uh, they they try to protect this last group of humans, but that that is foiled by a bunch of floating Cyberman heads that are drones um, that are <laughs> that fly in and, and and swoop in and foil their their plan. And there's a whole uh, spaceship that they end up going to. A subset of our gang ends up going to that is of course full of tombs of the cybermen because you got to love how cybermen are they're like an amazon warehouse in space they just it's full, <laughs> full of cybermen full of cybermen and meanwhile there's a there's a, a plant mysterious planet with a, a, a guy named kosharmus who's a, a person not a planet um and he, there's a portal and it uh you know and and that's that's this episode and then the final episode is that gallifrey's on the other side of the portal and this is all sort of been a master plan to get the uh to get the cybermen to come to gallifrey and and uh and we get cyber time lords and we get a lot of scenes in the matrix where the master presses play on his powerpoint presentation about the timeless child (laughs) and uh and we learn that the doctor is the timeless child who or at least the master says so so i guess we'll believe him uh who was uh, appeared and was found by a gallifreyan who did a lot of research to into regeneration and then imparted the regeneration on the gallifreyans and created the time lords so the the doctors actually lived for an impossibly long amount of time and a bunch of lives but for some reason had her memory wiped when it and you know when she became it's it's sort of the implication is regenerated into a child who grew up to be the first doctor as a way to sort of like put the rest of that history behind and it's it's just sort of like it's a series concept twisting moment that also is just kind of laid, left out there for you know to be dealt with in in a future time and the master is dealt with and you know as he always is and the 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 group escapes and then there's a final little david tennant-esque cliffhanger where you think the story is done and then the doctor is arrested and taken to prison and she says what 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 and then that's that's the end so uh, a lot going on here in terms of series uh like history and canon and then also just cybermen and explosions and uh stuff like that so uh i i would love to go around and get thoughts about the the the, the climax of season 12 well, um, I've, uh, I've watched this show since I was eight years old and I've become a super fan probably when I was 12 and I haven't stopped watching it since. Mm-hmm. And let me tell you, uh, presenting such a continuity and canon busting, um, proposal as multiple doctors who you've never seen and likely won't ever see, uh, did take, uh, a while to get my head around and accept. Um, I just think of what the doctor had to think of. So, but I am I'm glad that the show has taught me about changes and and shifts and and all sorts of uh, crazy nonsense over the years that I was able to roll with it after a while. But it was uh, it was quite a shock, and I'm really impressed that uh, Doctor Who went there and just tried to completely blow it open. Because what what it does uh, at the end of all this is it just enhances once again the the mystery 
once again right. we can sort of say doctor who yet it that those words unlike the Stephen moffat era are never uttered in this episode Stephen moffat often said doctor who doctor who doctor well we know exactly who doctor who because we see all of them basically now we don't now all of a sudden we don't and you know as much as there's um how however many different uh doctors who were generated before william hartnell we still don't know what happened that made him settle down and be William Hartnell and, and sort of settle in his natural uh, numerical progression that we know of. So there's a whole gap there all of a sudden. At the beginning when the show came back in 2005, there was a thing called the Time War. We didn't know what the Time War was, but Gallifrey's gone, I guess. And so there's a whole mystery on there. And now there's another mystery again. What, what is with the Doctor's basically past up until however old he is when he's William Hartnell. I, I think it's utterly fascinating. I'm sure Big Finish will mine <laughs> this, uh, this gap period for decades to come now with, uh, with fictitious doctors uh, that they can write stories around. But I, I think it's just a fascinating, mind-blowing concept. And uh, I'm looking over at my DVD shelf right now. I'm thinking, do I have to reorder these at some point <laughs> um, or leave giant gaps before an unearthly child on my DVD shelf now thanks to this? Well, it does. It does reset the doctor in a way to being, and this is what um, you know was tr- they were trying to do a little bit during Sylvester McCoy's era to say the doctor is mysterious because at the beginning of the show it was where is he from we don't know, <laughs> like what's yeah. his history we don't know, and now we're sort of back there, which is all the filling in that happened. It turns out is filling into a thing, and then there's a just giant gap before it that we don't know anything about. It says the Doctor is not from Gallifrey. The Doctor is the reason that the Time Lords exist, but where did the Doctor come from? It's a mystery. She was found under a under a portal. Did she come through it? We actually yeah. don't know that. You know, we and and that on that level, I I find it exciting in the sense that it just is uh, a whole bunch more mystery. Which, you know, then again, they will then fill that in, right? Presumably. But there's almost an infinite amount. You kind of can't fill it all in. So it'll always be there. Mm. I love that the doctor, you know, the doctor, like you said, has always been a mystery. And now the doctor is a mystery to herself. And that is exciting in a way that that just not having the information that the character did was not exciting before um and i love how they really did tie so much of like the classic series into this all the references all of the the faces that you know fly by and that you know, the brain maybe, of Morbius the, episode the, of it's oh, finally canon. Yeah. Oh man, <laughs> some I I just cackled when I saw that because I I'd completely forgotten For those about who that. Don't know, in a classic episode of Tom, of Tom Baker's era, there is a moment where two Time Lords, the Doctor and and Morbius, have a brain off, and one of the things that <laughs> happens is that we see the Doctor. And, and images of the doctor and it's like going back into his past. So then we see John Pertwee and then we see Patrick Troughton and then we see William Hartnell and then we see all of these other guys wearing wigs and hats and you think, <laughs> are those other doctors? How could that be? And it's never discussed again. Never discussed again. <laughs> no. And in The Timeless Children, Chris Chibnall says, yeah, those are also doctors. Done. Just for fun. Just because. Why not? And, you know, we... I and was Joe in the. Martin. I was yeah. in the um, season wrap of The Mandalorian um, a few months ago, and 
I remarked there that I'd never gone so much to Wikipedia in my life as as <laughs> watching, especially like toward the end of, of The Mandalorian, and how I, I felt like I was learning all of this stuff about about Star Wars fandom. And now here I am, you know, having been a Doctor Who fan since I was little and seeing and, and, and just getting like these like nostalgia rushes as, you know, with with reference here and reference there and the Matrix and the Panopticon and Man. and at the same time learn all of that being undercut and twisted 180 degrees and thrust into this entirely new context. And that was just thrilling. I think, you know, what you're bringing up about this is what has made this, you know, season, you know, climax very uh, interesting and challenging for someone like myself who has been a Doctor Who fan since 2005. Mm -hmm. And I and I haven't watched a lot of the classic Who, and I certainly don't, you know, catch all the references at all. And it was, you know, one thing I had to remind myself is like, well, you know, I feel yes, you're a new Who fan, but you that's like 15 years now. Yeah, (laughs) Yeah. Mm -hmm. it's not like I'm, you know, it's not just a little bit of fandom. I mean, I, I, I. And I th- I was excited to see like these things and just what you were saying, like going to Wikipedia, like and, you know, get, informing myself about, you know, the brain of Morbius. You know, I, I was like, I don't even know what exactly has happened here, you know, <laughs> except that the but it still works for somebody who doesn't know all that stuff, because the underlying lying story of you know, finding a uh, mysterious child and finding out that she has uh, regeneration um, powers is, you don't need to know, that's what you need to know, you know, and that the Time Lords, I mean, you you obviously need to know something about the Time Lords, but, you know, they aren't talked about too much in this, uh, the, I w- even last season, but this season, you know, so maybe you have to you wouldn't know how great those cybermen i mean those cyber time lord costumes are maybe <laughs> if you weren't familiar if you just dropped into doctor who for for this doctor but it was um yeah it was pretty exciting and uh um yeah i i just enjoyed the uh but I, my brain was definitely blown. Like I was like that emoji with the exploding brain. Because <laughs> I'm like, what? It's the story of the doctor, but encoded in a way that she can understand it without knowing the truth, which is that that's her. And so it's the, the Brendan in Ireland is actually the timeless child story, but hidden is, is the implication. I do wish they'd figured out some way to get all of that matrix information to us that wasn't just a giant giant info dump. That, that was mm-hmm. my one problem with this last episode was that it and it's why the um prisoner the fugitive of the jadoon worked so well as a just like clutching your head pulling your hair out going what is going on and then this one was sort of like uh-huh uh-huh uh huh. Oh, oh, I see. Let me get you okay, up to well, speed that's interesting. On yeah, the new exactly. History of Doctor Who. Okay, in our first slide, let me explain to you about the Timeless Child. Exactly, <laughs> exactly. And it, I appreciated it a lot more thinking about it afterwards and ruminating on it 
and then I did watching it. Watching it, I was like, this is an, an info snooze. Um, and then especially at the end where Kosharma's basically like jumps into the fray and says, no, no. I shall yeah. kill myself, doctor. <laughs> ha ha, you run off that way. And she does. Um, then I was like, uh, okay. But then, yeah. yeah. So I'm, I'm more interested in what we learned than I am in the episode itself, I think. That didn't bother me actually so much. Uh, and I, like Jean, am a Modern Who fan. So I came on board in 2005. So maybe I just needed the PowerPoint presentation. Mm. <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> but I also think that the series, because I have been on board for 15 years now, has done a good job of educating us about that past because... I haven't watched a ton of classic who, even though I have access to uh, a whole shelf of it and the brain of Steven, who does excellent <laughs> live commentaries, actually. Wait, I want that episode. Where do you yeah. want that the episode? Steven Chapansky is the brain of Steven in yeah. the brain of Morbius. <laughs> yeah. And I, I probably will get that episode at some time and be like, can we watch that? And you can give me, because he does do a live commentary and it's really good. It's um, probably annoying, actually, but thank No, it's you. good. I like it. <laughs> I like it. Because, because it gives me context because I don't know if I will ever go back and watch all of classic who because that seems like a very large yes if you've got five task. years in your schedule that you can yes, just sort exactly of right in. so you know it is nice to sit with someone who knows it so well and have that all explained but i don't i i do think the show has gotten me enough up to speed to see that but perhaps that's why i didn't mind that info dump so much because I needed time to sort of, I also think I'm also going, do I know this or should I know this? Because I, it's a classic who thing. And then I, that's when I need the commentary from Steven to go that and I go check with them after. <laughs> I go, go well. Did, did we know that before? Or is this all new to me or is it new to you too? Which they, they informed me it is new to everyone. I, I would argue that after 15 years, if, if they can't, keep someone informed who's been watching for 15 years and that's on them. Yeah. You know, there is this huge sort of back universe that they can draw from. <laughs> but if you're, if you're good enough at what you're doing, you can draw from it and educate in little ways and make it new all at the same time. And not have it be like, oh, well, I, I didn't see that incredibly obscure second part of this third episode in 1976. <laughs> sure. So, of yeah. course, it's on me that I don't understand what's going yeah, on. And the, the old references are just meant to be references yes. for fun. Like, the, I think the larger point. They don't uh, detract from my enjoyment. Right. I just I do agree with Helene, though, that the the info dump here it's entertaining in a sense from like, look, we're going to change Doctor Who canon. But like within the story, it doesn't have any relevance. The only real relevance is the master in episode one and no, really at the end of episode two said, I got really mad and killed all the Time Lords because of a secret. And mm -hmm. later I'll tell you. And then in episode 10, he tells her, <laughs> which is you could, you know, you could have guessed that. But that that's it. It's not like, oh, but now a thing is has emerged from that that is causing trouble or a fact, you know, like 
there could be an inciting action that reveals all of these things or forces the doctor mm-hmm. to figure it out or forces the doctor to find the master and get the information from him. But instead, it's literally like he just pops up at the boundary and says, all right, I'm going to tell, you know, that I, my name is the master and thank you for listening to my TED talk. Like that is what he's doing. <laughs> that is fair. <laughs> yeah, it's, it's almost frustrating that they, they have to sort of do it visually. You know, I, I was just thinking of other info dump scenes in Doctor Who history and one of my favorite is in a 1980 story called the uh, State of Decay, where um, Tom Baker's doctor uh, is learning about the history of the great vampire and these other vampires he's fighting in on this planet in eSpace. And the entire scene is him uh, basically entering numbers into the TARDIS console, printing off ticker tape, and then reading that ticker tape to K9, <laughs> offering his own asides to himself. It's like three and a half to four minutes long, and it's utterly riveting because Tom Baker is there, like being Tom Baker, and so you're just transfixed by. It. And I don't think you could get away with that now, uh, sadly. So I, I don't know I, if I was a better writer or a writer at all, I would try to come up with maybe a different way of sort of like, you know. Uh, unleashing all this information without having it be one person telling another. It's it's a tricky thing. Maybe they could have done it like they did it in um, Can You Hear Me? Oh, yes. The- I would have liked that. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Right? Because it, it is like a mythology storytelling sort of element. So mm-hmm. maybe they could have done something like that. Well, Jason, now that you've said TED Talk, I'm imagining Sasha Dewan standing up on the stage talking to the audience <laughs> with, with the little wire yeah. mic. I was going to say the wire mic. Doing it entirely like yeah. a TED Talk. It's like, why not lean into it? That would have been beautiful. And in Fugitive of the Jadoon, <laughs> the idea here is that in Fugitive of the Jadoon, the doctor stumbles on Ruth and then discovers that Ruth is, has chameleon arch and, and then finds out she's the doctor. And there's that moment where she's like, well, wait, how is that possible? So you could, it, it's a natural kind of discovery. And in the timeless children, it's not, it's just, let me tell you the secrets. And I would have rather she tried to find out what was going on, get some information, something to happen that erases part of her mind wipe. And she remembers like there are lots of different ways, you know, I, you know, I don't, I don't want to go on. I think that the twist is really great. It's just kind mm-hmm. of unfortunate that it feels a lot like now I will tell you my twist <laughs> instead of having it <laughs> yeah. feel a little more like she got, she stumbled onto it and it's shocking and, and it's more natural that way. That's all. That's yeah, fair. Let, let's workshop this. Yeah, I mean, like, what if, like, maybe <laughs> the master, I have no notes. like, what if, like, the master, like, instead of, like, I'm going to tell you about this, what if she, like, all of a sudden she wakes up in the operating room or something like that, and, like, she's there with Tech Tayun, like, operating on this child or something, and she has to find out that way, or, or, and then all of a sudden the child sort of, like, regenerates, and then maybe the master can fill in the backstory a little bit about how she found the child. Maybe that's a way you could sort of incorporate mm. the doctor into this, as opposed to being a very passive observer at this point of her own personal history. Yeah, I don't know. Hmm. I don't know. But yeah. the, this is, I mean, I, I think it's exciting and interesting. It's just that, that I asked the question when we did our flashcast about episode five, that Stephen and Erica were on, which was, you know, is there a difference between a good episode and a momentous episode? And I think Fugitive of the Jadoon is both. Uh, Timeless Children is less good. It is very momentous, yeah. but it's not quite as good because I think the momentousness carries it. It's like, if we change the canon, and that's great, but like as storytelling, it's it's kind of half a story. It's really just a secondhand story. <laughs> Somebody else is telling us a story. The master is telling us a story, which is cheating because it's very easy to tell a story when. It's in the Matrix. 
when you got the matrix. When you're reading ticker tape. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> or fighting samurai warriors or yeah. people in the swamp or something like that if you're in The Deadly Assassin in 1976. Yes. But in know. his other incarnation, he's making fun of this lone cyberman for his uh, diabolical plot of turning them all into robots. Yes, yeah, that was great. Yeah. Mm-hmm. That's a great moment. I mean, the humor level in this finale was really quite high the considering whole how was, serious it was. The whole season was very yeah. funny. There are funny moments throughout. Mm-hmm. Well, I think we've reached the end, but uh, we have, uh, and we've definitely reached the end of episodes, but Doctor Who will return in <laughs> Revolution of the Daleks, <laughs> which will appear at an unknown holiday. Festive season, I believe, is how they Festive season. Be- Between Christmas and New Year. It'll, <laughs> yes. it'll happen sometime <laughs> in the last time. week of December to the first day of Next. 2021. So we begin our long Doctor Who-less period now. It's very sad. Then there'll be one episode, and then there'll be another long Doctor who period after that, before it comes back, yes. presumably in late 2021. <sighs> yeah, they're, they're only shooting the next series in, uh, starting in September, so uh, yeah. it'll be interesting to see what uh, what comes out bef- you know, when the they Christmas start shooting that. The Christmas special of 2021 might be the premiere of the series, for all we know. <laughs> Yeah, it could be. Oof. It does take a long time to make these things. It does. Now, so. It does. But as we've all detailed here, pretty good series. Pretty good season mm. this this year. I, I uh, a pleasant surprise. Very nice. Um, I would like to thank my panelists for being here and talking about it with me. Stephen Shapansky, thank you. What? 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 <laughs> Jean McDonald, thank you. Thanks for having me. Annette Weirstra, thank you. Thank you. It sounds like I have about 10 months to watch some classic Who and Catch Up. <laughs> sure, just uh, watch uh, Brain of Morbius, Deadly Assassin. We'll get you a list. Uh, I know With who you the can, brain uh, of Steven. I, I know yeah. who you can borrow the DVDs from. Uh, yes. <laughs> Helene Wecker, thank you. Thank you very much. And uh, I just need to uh, totally blow your mind about the history of The Incomparable. Actually, we've been doing it for about 2,000 episodes. But I, I, I erased the first 1,500. Oh. <laughs> Only these 500 remain. Everything you thought you knew was a lie. I've been your host, Master Jason. and this, There have been so many Jasons. And you uh, have been listening to my TED Talk as well, but now it's over. Uh, thanks for listening to this episode of The Incomparable. We will see you next week. Doctor Who, Doctor Who, on The Incomparable.